Thanks, Mark. You know, the scripture records that David danced before the Lord, but what it doesn't record is that that's the dance he did. <laughs> yeah, the whole, the whole crowd was doing it. So, uh, <laughs> well, it has been quite a morning. I don't know at, at your work what it means when there's a crazy morning and you feel like you've been thrown in a blender, but our tech team, our worship team, uh, all morning long have been getting ready for power outages and contingencies, and they do, they do a great job every week, and let's give them a round of applause for that. You know, it, you know it's going to be an interesting morning when someone says, the backup generator is on the way. <laughs> oh, the backup generator, your main generator blew, and so here you are. Well, um, you know, and I, just so that you know, our commitment is uh, we, we have church. I mean, as long as we can have church, we have church. So we were planning on having church. You know, the power never went out when Jesus taught, right? Because they didn't even have electricity. They didn't need it. And so if we can have church, we're going to do it. How many of you were here the last time the power went out and here and we just got, what, like a light bulb somehow and I taught. And so we do church. So we're going to do it today. Go ahead and open your Bibles to Romans 11, chapter 6. Romans 11, chapter 6. And there are notes in your bulletin. It's great if you could... Take notes. I'm hoping the power stays on the whole time. Um, but we're going to Romans 11, verse 6. And uh, we're in the part of Romans where we're discussing God's sovereignty, his sovereign plan. And this is focusing us in on the nation of Israel and the people of God over the next two weeks. Um, now, the big idea is this. God, God wants you, God wants you to understand how his hand is directing the entire course of history. Do you know that? Do you know that God's hand is directing the entire course of history? Uh, God's not watching history like Netflix, okay? He's commanding it. And when you look at how he has directed history with his own hand, Israel is center stage. God has used Israel to bring his plan of salvation into the world and God is continuing to use Israel to display who he is and how he treats uh, people. In Israel, we see a, basically a, a microcosm, a small version of all of humanity's story playing out. So that's why it's crucial over the next two weeks that we're going to, we're going to get an understanding of what is God's plan for Israel and how do you find God's plan for your life by understanding that there is a plan. Uh, let's pray and then we'll get into the word together. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have a plan and that the plan has not changed. Thank you that we can understand your plan and, and that we can embrace your plan and that we can have confidence, we can live and die with confidence that we have received what you have for us, that we are fulfilling the purpose for which you have created us. Help us to understand why we're here. Help us to understand who you are, what you're doing, and where it's all going. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, in Romans chapter 11, verse 6, we're continuing a thought here, and we've covered a lot of ground, but the Apostle Paul is basically saying uh, that the Old Testament is not over. God's plan did not fail. Most of the Jewish people in Jesus' day rejected him, and so people were wondering, well, is that it? Does God have now plan B? And Paul's like, no, no, I'm a Jew, and I'm a believer, and look, here's how this is God's plan coming to fruition. Here's how it's God fulfilling his plan. So in Romans chapter 11, verse 6, a review verse from last week says this, but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Uh, 
the first thing you can write down in your bulletin is this. Have you received the free gift of eternal life? The, the book of Romans is aimed at showing that the Jewish people were trying to pursue a righteousness of their own by religious effort, by political activism. They were trying to get God's plan through their moral effort. And Jesus came down to save sinners. Jesus came down as a free gift. The Father so loved the world that he gave his only Son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And so this makes us question, what plan are we on? Have we received the free gift of eternal life? The word grace means unearned favor. It means that if you want to get to heaven, you have to be given something that you will never deserve. I told you three weeks ago that my daughter got into a fender bender, and so I went to the Enterprise rental car. They were out of cars that fit the description of what the insurance company would pay for. So they set me up in a brand new 2019 Dodge Charger, like bright red, and, and I was like, oh, and so I start, the thing had six miles on it when I rented it. It was brand new. They were pulling the stickers off of it, right? And I kind of didn't want the repair shop to get the job done quickly now because I've got this car that I'm driving. And Lauren said, well, if my van is in the shop, shouldn't I be the one to drive the charger? <laughs> and I said, Lore, they, it happened so fast at the rental car company. I mean, I'm, I'm, they gave me the keys and I think I'm the only name on the, the rental. <laughs> I, I mean, I didn't do that. Well, she found out that Enterprise's policy is that a spouse is automatically on the rental. Okay, so did she come and tell me that she had a plan to share the vehicle? No, I came back to my office and the car was gone and she had left me the keys to the other car. I was like, well. <laughs> so, so, then we're at the ball field watching Jared's game and I had to head back to work and so while she was distracted, I reached over into her purse and grabbed and did a little key swap and then as I was walking to the parking lot, you know, I saw her chasing me, and I got to the car first and took off. So there's been like this, you know, all week long, who gets to drive the car, right? Now, here's the point. And here, the van, we don't know when it's going to get fixed. They, things keep going wrong. They're like, oh, yeah, the tire was broken. We put on it. I'm like, oh, darn. <laughs> oh, no. So the, thing, the car now has 750 miles on it. We've driven it everywhere. <laughs> all right. Now, why am I sharing it? It's because this. We're driving something that does not belong to us, all right? Somebody handed us the keys, and an insurance company is paying for the rental. It's free to us. We're, it's costing us nothing, right? Uh, now, when you, if you get to heaven, it's going to be free to you. You didn't pay for it. It, it cost you nothing. Someone handed you the keys. And if you think that you're earning your way in, that it's yours, that you deserve it, you don't understand how grace works. Grace means that you will never be able to earn it. You will never deserve it. Have you received the free gift of eternal life found in Christ Jesus? That's the point. It says, if it is, uh, verse 6, if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Jot this down. Have you received the free gift of eternal life? God is calling you to faith in Christ. Faith in Christ. Grace is found in Jesus Christ, and forgiveness is found at the cross. If you want to accept the free gift of eternal life, you have to go to the cross where Jesus died to pay the penalty for your sins. Now listen, the car is free to us, but it's not free. Enterprise had to buy it, and AAA had to rent it. There is a cost 
right? We just didn't pay it. Now look, there's a cost to get you into heaven, but you just didn't pay it. Jesus paid it all at the cross. That's why he said, it is finished. If you've ever had car payments, remember in the olden days where you had to rip a little voucher out of the book and then send it in, right? Make car payments, you had your little book, and then you get to the last payment, right? Am I the only one who's had this before? How many of you had car payment books before, right? We had to rip a sheet out and send it in, right? I remember getting to the bottom and you ripped the last sheet out and made the last payment and then it was finished. Listen, at the cross, Jesus made the last payment for your sin. That's what he means when he says it is finished. It's over. So there's no place for you to think that your spiritual effort earns you merit with God. Jot this down. God is calling you away from religious effort. Away from religious effort. It says here, uh, but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. It says, what then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. A few things we can dig down here is, first of all, there is a great separation. There are those who God would say, these are my people, and there are those who God would say, these are not my people. In a day where everyone wants everyone to feel wonderful, we have to see what the scripture says plain as day. That a day is coming in eternity when God separates humanity into only two groups. And there are only two places where you will spend eternity. And here it calls the group that has gotten God's favor the elect. It says the elect obtained it, and then it says the rest were hardened. Now, in this context, it's referring to the Jewish people. The elect would be those who obtained it by receiving Christ Jesus as Lord. Those are what's called the elect. And then it says the rest were hardened. Those were, those were the people, the Jewish people, who rejected Christ Jesus as Lord. So God was sifting even the hearts in Israel to find out if they would receive the free gift of eternal life. We covered the idea of election several weeks ago, but the word elect is something that happens in the heart of God before time began. God chose before time to love and to save people. His heart was made up. Now, how do we know if we belong to him? How do our hearts become made up? Well, we learn that too. Someone preaches the word of God. You hear the word of God. You hear of the great love of Jesus Christ, uh, right? And, and God calls you unto salvation. You repent of your sins. And Jesus Christ becomes king of your heart, Lord of your heart, right? That's how your response works. When it comes to those who belong to God, it is those who have received Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord who would be called by his scripture the elect of God, God's chosen people. And those are the people who God uh, is preparing the place for for all of eternity. And so where are you? Where are you with this truth that God from eternity past had a plan? The plan is named Jesus. Jesus came through the Jewish people, and they rejected him largely, but those who received him were given eternal life. Knowing that, that God's plan that spans all the way back to eternity past is found in Jesus Christ, you really have one main question to answer in life. What do you do with God's Son? What do you do with God's Son? Everything else is secondary. One main question, everything else is secondary. What have you done with Jesus Christ? Number one, have you received the free gift of eternal life? God is calling you to faith in Christ. God is calling you away from religious effort. Jot this down. Number two, how does God treat the self-righteous? How does God treat the self-righteous? So what happens if I just stay on my plan? What happens if I just try to be a good person? What happens if I just use religion? What happens if I just, uh, if I'm just, you know, overall trying to do more good than bad, 
but I'm not really a Jesus person. What does God do with me? How does God treat the self-righteous? Well, reading on, it says this, but the rest were hardened, as it is written. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear to this very day. So there's a quote here from Isaiah 29.10, Deuteronomy 29.4. Sometimes the Bible brings a few verses together, and this is how God has treated people. Again, Paul's pointing to the Old Testament to say, look, this is how God treats the self-righteous, the enemies of God, those who are not following his plan. And David says, so now there's a quote from Psalm 69, 22 to 23. David says, let their table become a snare and a trap a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. What we have here is we have a litany of descriptions of how God treats the self-righteous, how God treats those who are against his plan. And this will clarify for you and me uh, what happens if we refuse God's plan. How does God act if we just say no to Jesus? Well, Let me first define what a self-righteous person is in the New Testament. A self-righteous person would follow religious rituals, ceremonies, special days, fasts. They would perhaps collect spiritual objects or jewelry. They would go to spiritual places. All of this is external, outside. And the belief is this, that if I go through all of this religious activity, then it will make me acceptable to God. Because look at all that I've done. Now listen, that is a false gospel. All of the external things in the world will do nothing to change your soul. You can't go to a special place or get a special substance or or talk to a special person. Nothing on the outside can cleanse you of sin. Only Jesus Christ can cleanse you on the inside through faith. And this is what we believe. Once the inside is renewed and revitalized and brought to life, then the outside is conformed to God's image. It starts in the heart. So those who are treating religion as purely an external thing are self-righteous. They are trying to build up their own ladder to heaven, and it won't work. And here's what God does with the self-righteous. Jot this down. He hardens their hearts. He hardens their hearts. The Pharisees love the rules. They love to live by them, and they also learn to despise people, especially people who would tell them the truth about their heart. Listen, this is a huge point. When Jesus told the Pharisees the truth about their heart, they wanted to kill him. They wanted to kill him because in their mind they were keeping the list. And Jesus pointed straight inside of them and he said, you're a whitewashed tomb. You're full of dead men's bones. Wow. Is that my gentle Jesus? Would he say things like that? You bet he would. And he called them out because on the outside they were faking formalism. On the inside they were rotting corpses. So God, what does he do? He hardens their hearts. And the more people cling to laws and rules, the more condescending they become. Their heart is stone. God refers to people who follow, go through the motions, follow the rules. And, and here's what the Bible says. It says, their hearts are far from me. They acknowledge me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you study the scriptures because you think by them you have eternal life. They speak of me. 
They speak of me, meaning the book can't get you anywhere. The book takes you to me. I can take you to heaven. And this should challenge us. How, how are we responding? Maybe you've been raised in the church. Maybe you know the word of God. Maybe you learned the Awana verses. Maybe you got the badges, right? I don't know, but what are you doing with that? If you're just like, you know, now, now that I know the rules, I'm going to make sure everyone keeps them. And you're like, you know, Jesus cop. You're the one who's pulling people over for going too fast. And you're using the rules to beat people over the head. They've got cliches for people like this, right? They call them fighting fundies, fundamentalists, right? Bible thumpers, people who are, you know, stereotypically known for being red-faced, pulpit-pounding, angry. And I know that that's a caricature. There are many people who've grown up in more fundamentalist churches who love Jesus and who love other people. But here's the point. If it's all about the rules in your heart and your faith is purely external, God is going to harden your heart. He won't let you simply have an outward form of adherence to the word. He wants you to love the Lord your God with all your heart. All of it. All of it. Not just 15 rules worth. Not just I don't wear this or go to this movie or what. All your heart. All of it. 100% of your heart loving God. And if you're not there, then you're settling for less than the gospel. And God will harden your heart until one day you wake up and say, I'm a monster. I'm a religious monster. How did I become this? And then your heart will crack open and you'll realize that it's never been about the rules. It's never been about the rules. It's been about the relationship. God will harden your heart. I don't know when the Apostle Paul's heart cracked open. Maybe it was when he was casting his, his vote to put Christian men and women to death. But at some point he realized he had become a murderer in the name of God. And he finally woke up when Jesus opened his eyes. How does God treat the self-righteous? He hardens their hearts. Jot this down. He increases their slumber. He increases their slumber. Uh, it says here that God gave them a spirit of stupor. That means deep sleep. And then in verse 10, it says, bend their backs forever. The idea of a slumber, like you're, you're you know, tipping over in the couch, you're so tired, or snoring deeply, or, or your back is bent and your body is shaking because of weariness and weakness. Uh, what does that teach us? It teaches that God increases the slumber of the self-righteous. Another way to put it is he increases their burden. They're, they're carrying, carrying such a weight. Oh, I'm doing this for God. I'm, oh, I can do it. I can do it. And God looks down at that, and he throws another brick on the pile. You think you can do it, huh? Well, why don't you do this? And here's another. <laughs> he crushes them. Why? Because he's a mean God? No, to show them that there's no way they could ever carry the full weight of what he expects. Ever. He crushes them. This is why when Jesus talked to the Pharisees, uh, he would say extreme things, right? Like you've heard it said that if a man, you know, commits adultery with a woman, right, uh, that he's in sin. But what I tell you is if a man looks lustfully upon a woman, he's already committed adultery in his heart. And they're like, who can keep that? You know, he raised the standard to perfection to show that no one can keep it. You cannot be righteous before God by following the law. And here's the point. 
if you think that by rule keeping and ritualistic church attendance and following certain special days and having certain mystical objects makes you right with God, here's how God says you are. Ready? Are you married to a snorer? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. All of that effort, God says, can be summed up in one sound. You're unconscious if you think that's getting you to God. You're, you're not even awake. And God is saying, wake up, self-righteous person. He even throws you into a deeper sleep. What does that mean? It means you become so desensitized to true faith. You're so spiritually sleepy that you're not even awake to him. You're unconscious or maybe exhausted. You're laboring under a great weight and you finally collapse. And God does that to you to show you that it's not working. It's not working. And this can be true of people who follow other religions as well that keep stacking more and more burdens on top of fast. Pray, give, travel, and they will just collapse under the weight. And God increases the burden in their slumber. Jot this down. He blinds their eyes. He blinds their eyes. Give them a spirit of, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see. He blinds their eyes. Now the point is this. If you walk away from the truth about Jesus, you can't see God. Okay, here's a simple point. You can't see God without Jesus. You can't. You can't see him. Uh, I remember several years ago, I scratched my cornea, and I didn't quite know it. I got something in my eye, pulled it out, went to sleep, woke up at 3 a.m., and my eye was hurting so badly. I went downstairs. I couldn't go back to sleep. It was throbbing. And then the sun rose. I've never felt pain like this in my life. It felt like someone took an ice pick and just jammed it right into my eyeball. The, I had to cover my eye up with whatever I could find. So here's a picture. I think we have a picture of me covering my eye up. There it is. <laughs> That's a sock. <laughs> I just put it over my eye and I found these old glasses because no light could touch it because it hurt so much. And then I went into the doctor and he tried to treat it, um, but then the, uh, I guess your eye works like a pool filter. There's liquid that constantly cleans it out. So that got infected. So I woke up the next day and I could not see my hand, I saw just a blur, and I was like, Lord, I can't see. She's like, what do you mean? I said, I can't see. I, it's not like, it's like a blur, like, a, like a, the shower getting fogged up. I can't even see my hand. And I was freaking out. Am I going blind? What's happening here? And I went to the doctor, and they fixed it, and, you know, got, got the right medicine. But I couldn't see my hand. And listen, when you um, come to Jesus, you can finally see God. Before you come to Jesus, you can't see God. Jesus opens your eyes. You were blind, but now you see. That's how powerful Christ is. Uh, what does God do to the self-righteous? He blinds their eyes. The mirror gets foggier and foggier, and they can't see. Jot this down. He closes their ears. It says, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear down to this very day. He, he blinds their eyes, he closes their ears. Without Jesus, we can't hear God. The self-righteous people hear their own voice, but they have small ears. They, they, they can't hear God. 
uh, because they don't know him through Jesus Christ. So deaf, blind, asleep, stone-hearted. Boy, this sounds really harsh. What this describes is uh, it's not like physically you're unable to hear. Spiritually, you're unable to hear. It means when God's word, the truth, comes to you, it's as if you're deaf to it. You're like, oh, Abraham? It's like you don't even hear. And the Bible describes the spiritual process this way. If when the truth of Christ comes into your heart, you accept the Lord as Savior, you repent, you become born again, you can hear God. If you don't, Satan comes and steals away what you even heard. He takes it away so that you don't even have an understanding of what you've heard. And then the more you hear it, the more you're like, I don't, I don't even hear what you're saying. I don't, I don't even kind of want it. And you get deaf to the truth. You get deaf to the truth. And let me just challenge those of you who've been raised in the church. You might feel like, I've heard all this before. Beware shrinking ears. Beware the feeling that I've heard all. Your ears are getting deafer and deafer and deafer, and you're not listening to God. This book is living and active, a treasure mine of truth. It will never get old. It will never fade. These are the precious promises of God. So open your ears wide and hear what God is saying. He blinds their eyes, he closes their ears, jot this down, and he trips and traps them. He trips and traps them. He goes on to say, in verse 9, David says, let their table become a snare and a trap. Now that's kind of a funny image. There you are eating breakfast at the table, and suddenly it's like a bear trap. And it catches you, you know. And what that means is, Lord, these are your enemies. Like, like, don't even let them enjoy the basic comforts of home or community or fellowship. Why should the wicked prosper? This is what David's saying. And this is what God does to those who are against him. Ultimately, he trips and traps them. It says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. So a stumbling block. Now you have God putting stumbling blocks, God tripping people. I think uh, I found a video. Do we have the video in a second that we can show? Okay, so I'm going to show you a video. There was a grandpa coming out of a library with his young daughter. And then there was a, uh, a 19-year-old um, kid with a gun running away from cops. And the grandpa saw what was happening. And so he, like, timed it right. And he stepped back and he tripped the guy with the gun, sending this kid flying through the air, and then the gun went flying, and the police were able to apprehend him without any further violence. So they said that this guy could have saved this kid's life. But check it out. We've got the video of it. He's coming my way, so I got in his way to slow him down so you guys could get him. He peeks out to check to see where the dude is, and he keeps doing it, and then he just waits. And you can tell he's timing it up perfectly. Boom! <laughs> now... They said the cops had their guns drawn. I mean, I don't know what happened before this, but they said that that likely saved this kid's life because the gun went flying, right? Now, listen, I love this. The Bible says God does that. He trips them. He trips them. There you are. And God's just like, and you go, bam. And you hit hard. And whatever you were planning, you get caught. Right? And this is what God does. 
He trips. He traps. He does not let the wicked go on with what they're doing unhindered. And I'm sure if you had to, you can tell sometimes in your life where you had the desire to do this and suddenly you're flying through the air and you get caught and your whole life, you know, gets turned around and you kind of think God's the one who did it, right? Just like this. This is what God does. How does God treat the self-righteous? He hardens their hearts. He increases their slumber. He blinds their eyes. He closes their ears. He trips and traps them. Now, jot this down, number three. Do you understand the blessing of Israel? Based on what we just heard and how God treats people, he wants us to know in the nation of Israel how he's treating us. So reading on, here's what it says. So I asked, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, here's what's interesting. The idea there is that uh, the Israelites just tripped over the stumbling block of Christ. So at the cross, the whole nation flew through the air and fell down. God tripped them. And they're humiliated. And so now the question is, well, did they stumble in order they might fall? Like, was it God's will just to do that to them? No, because the salvation came to the Gentiles through their failure. And it says here that happened so as to make Israel jealous. Gentiles are non-Jewish people like me and probably you. And the Israelites uh, are... Um, you know, around Jerusalem in Jesus' day, and, and they put him on the cross. It says in verse 12, now if their trespass means riches for the world, meaning they blew it and salvation came to the earth, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now this is talking about the blessing of Israel. Salvation came to the world through Israel. Even though they blew it and crucified the Messiah, we can be saved forever because of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, based on that, how much better would it be if they had received Christ as king? It says in verse 13, now I'm speaking to you Gentiles inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and save some of them. So his heart is that they would be saved. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? So the blessings of Israel are pretty amazing. He goes on to say in verse 16, if you're, if you're a foodie, you're going to like this. If you're a foodie, you watch Food Network, you like to bake. If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so the whole lump, uh, and if the root is holy, so are the branches. So you have a few metaphors here. Dough being offered first, and therefore the whole cake, right, is kind of holy, the whole lump, and then a root being holy, and therefore the branches are holy. Let's uh, pick this apart a little bit. Here's what it means. It means that at the beginning of Israel's history, there were the forefathers of faith like Abraham. Here's a picture of Abraham. We'll put it up on the screen. Abraham was led to a mountain where he was supposed to sacrifice his son Isaac for God, and then God called down, Abraham, stop, don't do it. And you're like, what kind of a God would make a father sacrifice his son, right? Well, here's the point. Isaac was a child of promise, and Jesus would be a descendant of Isaac. God led Abraham to the very region, if not the very spot, where Jesus would die. Isn't that cool? And there you have a father offering his son. And this is a few thousand years before Christ. Father offering his son, right? And, and then what happened? And then God said, no, it, the sacrifice will be provided. Well, then fast forward, and you've got Jesus, the Father offering his son in that very same place, only God truly did it. Abraham believed that Isaac would come back to life because that's the only way God could keep his promises. 
Therefore, Abraham is referred to as the father of all who believe. God formed his faith first to show that, that Old Testament and New, it's by faith that people are saved. So do you understand the blessings of Israel? God kept his promises to the first believers in Israel. And that, that, those would be the roots. Those would be the, you know, the, the dough offered first. And if, if God kept his promises to them, right, that's like the beginning. Surely God's going to continue his work up through the branches and through the rest of the dough. You get it? Do you understand the blessing of Israel? The point is this. God's plan is unfolding. It's not a new plan. It's the same plan moving forward, Old Testament and new. Jot this down. Do you understand the blessing of Israel? Jesus brought salvation to the world. Write that down. Jesus brought salvation to the world. This was the point. Uh, their failure meant riches for the Gentiles. Their rejection meant reconciliation of the world. Jesus brought salvation to the world. And it is through Christ that we can be saved. And the gospel is a message for the world. Understand that. The world needs Jesus. Jot this down. Jesus brought riches to the world. The Bible says that it means riches for the Gentiles in verse uh, 12. So salvation to the world, riches to the world. And then jot this down. Jesus brought reconciliation to the world. Jesus brought reconciliation to the world. Reconciliation means two warring parties are brought back together. Who are they? God and you. Reconciliation. God and you. Uh, and in your heart, you were born at war with God, and only Jesus can bring peace. Peace. Um, so when it says that Jesus is the Prince of Peace, too often people think that's like yoga peace, like, oh, oh, now I have peace. That's not peace. It's peace between two warring nations, yours and God's. That's the kind of peace that Jesus is Prince of. And so, do you understand the blessings of Israel? Jesus brought salvation to the world. Jesus brought riches to the world. Uh, Jesus brought reconciliation to the world. We've got a picture of a homeless person here I'm going to put on the screen. When I say Jesus brought riches to the world, understand that the Bible calls you poor. Poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. If you don't admit your spiritual bankruptcy, God can't bless you. Here's another picture. This just shows you who you are before Jesus arrives. And whoever you think you are, however good you think you are, however impressive you think you are to a holy God, understand that Jesus saw this, okay? That's you. And he brought riches into the world to save you. Do you understand the blessing of Israel? Do you understand that if God didn't bring Christ through Israel, you could never have been saved, ever? Not by your best merits. Number one, have you received the free gift of eternal life? Number two, how does God treat the self-righteous? Number three, do you understand the blessings of Israel? And then number four, do you understand how Israel warns us? You can jot that down. Number four, so these are the warnings of Israel. Do you understand how Israel warns us? Reading on, it says in verse 19... Verse uh, 17, but if some of the branches were broken off, now what does that mean? That means that there were Jews who were formally attached to God's people, but they didn't really believe in the heart. If some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, don't be arrogant toward the branches. Uh, if you are, remember, it is not you who supports the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so I might be grafted in. That's true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. That's important. 
but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Here's what this means. There you were, a, a branch on a wild olive tree. That means you were not connected to God's people. You were not connected to God. Spiritually, you were wild. Wild. God comes along, sees that you're not bearing the fruit that he intended you to bear. He calls you unto salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. He takes you off of the wild vine, and he brings you over to the vine that he planted, starting with Abraham thousands of years ago. And through the promises, through the faith, he grafts you on. You're now connected to his people, right? Now, there have been branches broken off because they didn't believe. So this idea of you being brought into this olive vine of his promises doesn't necessarily mean you're saved. It just means that you're in a setting now where you are connected to the promises of God. Now, if you bear fruit, you're a Christian. So if you were raised in the church, you heard about Jesus, you gave your life to him, you were baptized, and fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, wow, you're saved. But if you're just coming to church and you're a dead branch and there's cold, hard legalism in you and you're not saved, God's going to break you off, break you off. The warning from Israel is this, he broke them off. And if he broke them off, snap, 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 he will break you off. Your external, pretend, formal religion isn't doing it. God will snap you off if you don't truly, with all of your heart, love his son. Do you understand how Israel warns us? Jot this down. Fear a mere, a mere formal knowledge of God. Fear a mere, mere formal knowledge of God. This is God's severity. To put it simply, God won't let you get away with faking it. And there are many here today who are just faking it. You're just going through the motions. You're sure you're a Christian. Yeah, I've gone to church my whole life. But in here, no fruit, no fruit, no fruit. See the warning of Israel. He's going to snap you off if you don't truly embrace Jesus Christ as Lord. In Galatians 5, to 25 again, it says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Hey, are you a dead branch? Have you been aware of God's word for all your life? Have you been around God's people? But you just don't buy it. You just haven't gotten baptized. You just won't sing with all you. You're just, just here. You're, you're just here. If that's you, God's giving you a strong warning today. Hey, look what I did to Israel. The Roman army came in and judged their nation and burned their city down, and they lived in exile for a long time, over 1,900 years. 
If he didn't let them get away with faking it, he won't let you get away with faking it. Or maybe you're not faking it. Maybe you're just doing it all by your own effort for your own glory. He won't let you get away with that either. He'll only accept you through faith in Christ. And that's the last point. Jot this down. Stand firm through faith in Christ. Stand firm through faith in Christ. God says here in his word that it is through faith that you stand firm. Through faith. God's promised kindness to the Israelites who received Jesus as Lord shows that we have a hope. And it says here, and we're going to deal with this, if you want to talk about the end times and what happened in Israel in the 1940s and how God's plan plays out in history, come next week. It's going to be awesome. Uh, but God's continued faithfulness to Israel shows us that he will never stop being kind to us. Last question for you is this. Where do you stand with God? God has a great plan. He's steering all of history through his son, Jesus Christ. Have you by faith received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Are you bearing fruit of that faith? Do those closest to you in life know that Jesus means everything to you? If not, today can be the day that God brings you uh, into his family, that God grafts you onto his tree. This can be the day that Jesus gives you forgiveness and life for eternity. And I want to give you a chance to receive that gift right now. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this great passage in Romans, and I, I love, Lord, how you make truth so accessible. It's so easy to imagine uh, us being out there in the wild, attached to a vine that uh, was not planted by you, and then, and then you, a, a gardener, you come along, and, and you bring us away from that life through repentance. You, you sever our connection to sin, our bondage to depravity, and you walk us over and put us on what you have been planning from eternity past. Uh, and this olive tree, like a tree of life, you graft us in. And, and there we can know you. We can see you. We can hear you. Our burden is lifted. We're free at last. And I pray, Lord, for anyone here today who wants to give their life to you. They're done with living in a wild way. They're done with being deaf and blind to you. They're done, Lord, with the burden they've been carrying all their lives. I, in their own heart, they may just want to cry out, Jesus, save me. Jesus, save me. Forgive me. Wash me. Jesus, open my eyes. Jesus, open my ears. Jesus, take my burden away. Help me see God. Lord, give them life. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. Reassure them that you will never leave them and never forsake them. And help them to live proudly for your glory forever. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.